UK Motor Talk. Well, hello everybody and welcome to yet another UK Motor Talk podcast. I'm Mike. I'm Jim. Good evening. Good day. I'm Graham. Hello. Automotive news. And we have seen the new Fiesta, haven't we? But in fact, there's not been any other new Fiestas in the country, but we happen to have one, which is unusual and a surprise to pretty much everybody, I think. Yes, I think it's, it even was to the transporter driver as well, wasn't it? Because he said, I'm, I'm not quite sure where, where this one appeared from, because there's still plenty of the outgoing model floating around. So we've uh, we've been quite lucky. Well, I... One of our customers has been quite lucky, really, wasn't it? They, they ordered it a while ago and was uh, was half expecting an old one, then got told they'd get a new one, which was good news. But with it being a new one, we'd said it was going to be a bit later. But it's uh, it's a good two months earlier than everyone was expecting this, wasn't it? And yep. it's, uh, it's quite a nice bit of kit to look at. It's, it's maybe a bit... Um, softer a bit smoother than the than the outgoing i think we need to see a few different colors and a few different styles to work out what's best i think with with a lot of cars these days they're very spec and color dependent more so than yeah. ever you need to get the right car right color right wheels for it to really really pop and and look just so you know the the outgoing fiesta st line trim and uh, and desert island blue was uh, was always the one for me so, mm. But whether this one will suit slightly darker colours, I think it might do, not quite sure. But it's uh, it's uh, it's good to see, and it's, uh, and it's, as I say, even better news for the lucky person who's ordered it. It's got lots of intakes on it now, because I don't have fog lamps anymore, like like most new cars with LED lights, you just don't really need them. But I, I really only spotted it, because it was side-on on the on the transport. I thought, that's got massive wheels, and it's got 18-inch wheels. I thought, oh, it's got tinted tail lamps. Okay. So this was something which you used to get, if you remember, on... On sort of the the VWs in in the sort of early noughties, they used to do the the dark lamps on um, on like the GTI spec cars. I thought they looked pretty good, and you can get them on yeah. Euro spec RS turbos and that kind of stuff as well. So I'm pleased they've brought that back. I think that's a, that's a nice touch. We need a bit more of nice touches and a bit more joy in in car designs. So I think it's very easy for people to just want a car that's easy to drive that you can plug your phone into or not plug your phone into as the case may be and you get apple car player android auto or whatever and it's just you know in car entertainment on wheels I, I think that's a bit boring frankly so to, to have something that's a bit interesting to look at and a bit interesting to drive which for changes in an suv in in my book is pretty welcome i'd uh, i'd be inclined to agree but yeah i think the i i don't know i, th- I think the lack of fog lights I, I think it doesn't look as good, to be honest. I think the maybe it's it's a bit down the lines of uh, electric cars and and grills, and they put fake grills on electric cars, and then lots of electric cars now don't have a grill. But I think they look odd without a grill. Uh, a car looks odd without fog lights. But maybe that's just me being old. And you know, fog lights when I was uh, growing up was always a sign of you bought the posh one if you had front fog light. So is yeah. is there a, you know is there still a bit of that? It's a uh, Black wing mirrors look odd, but actually black wing mirrors are, are normally found on the highest spec in the range, aren't they? They're colour coded if it's the cheap one, and they're black if it's the posh one. So, dechroming. It's, um, it's all. That's another thing, yeah, isn't it? It's all. Uh, it's all gone a bit odd for me. Yeah, if you if you go for the high spec, like the sporty series, you lose the chrome that disappears, and then you have it in just in in black trim, the shadow edition, and all the rest of it. But see, I think they look better for that. Well, not having chrome. Yeah. I think, I think I think cars think look better without car. chrome. I quite like it on like on the Audi models where they have like a satin chrome. I think that's quite nice. I, uh, but then I'm old fashioned. Yes, I like. Yeah, I'll, do, I'll like go with, with uh, I'll go with satin chrome or or just silver 
as it's known to everyone. Oh, else. yeah, that shiny <laughs> silver. Yeah. This yeah. is because blokes can only see about a handful of colours by comparison. Well, you, you only need eight colours, don't you? Because there are only eight colours. Yes. I was, I was saying to Amy the other day, oh, uh, there's some, some dark red towels upstairs. She goes, they're not, not dark red, or they're not red, they're, they're cerise. I was like, what even is cerise? Is that a thing? What does that mean? Any Anyone any ideas? <laughs> Write to us, tweet us, anything you like. UK Motor Talk, anywhere on the socials you can find us. Tell me, what is cerise? I have not cherries? a clue. Cerise? Ch- cherries, I don't know, sure. something like that. I mean, it's, I, I, think, I think the only one that's acceptable is, is teal, because... It's in between green and blue, but turquoise, let's face it, depending maybe. on on the lighting, it's it's green or it's blue, or as you say, it's turquoise, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, but I see turquoise as green. There we go. Cerise is a, uh, look, looking this up on, on the internet, so it must be true, uh, a deep to vivid reddish pink. So it's pink. So I wonder if just call it so pink. So it's just pink then, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's either pink or purple. Reddish pink is just purple, isn't it? Uh, reddish pink. Mm. This is This is more pink than red, so it's pink. I'm afraid I am reminded of the uh, old snooker on black and white TV when they were trying to describe which were the colours. Oh, I'd even thought about that. It's become a little like that, particularly as people are still buying white cars most of the time. That must be ridiculous watching snooker on black and white television. You have no idea what's yeah, going the, on. The red ball That's is behind hilarious. the pink ball, yeah. <laughs> They're all shades of grey. That was part of the incentive for, uh, for upgrading the TV licence from a black and white licence to a colour licence, wasn't it? Which, and actually, I think in 2022, I think you can still buy a black and white license, can't you? That's madness. Can you, yeah, I'm sure you can't buy a black and white television. Well, no, but you can turn the colour down on the television that you do have. And does does that mean you can get away with only a black and white TV license? So if the the goons from TV licensing come round, you just turn the colour down in the telly and there you go, that's it. This is the reason why footballs are the colour they are, aren't they? So they show up on a black and white television, or was the case. Obviously, now, who cares? Black and white TVs then would have a bit of a problem with cricket these days, wouldn't they? Uh, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm just checking. You can um, still buy a black and white TV licence. It'll cost you £53.50 for the year. And in uh, just, just to keep up tradition, you can still pay for it by cheque and, uh, and you can still send <laughs> that cheque off in the post to get, uh, to get your black and white TV licence. But they do point out not to send cash payments through the post. Will they accept a postal order? Uh, cheque, no. Cheques only. Um... Green shield stamps. As long as you write your uh, your name and address and postcode on the back of the cheque, so they can uh, they can add all that up. But uh, no, no, uh, no mention of postal orders. But at the BBC, someone's going to receive that and go, oh, "Can't be bothered with that." There's no banks anymore to go and put it in anywhere. What's the point? Well, no, exactly. Well, no, but don't you take a picture of it, don't you? You take a picture of a cheque and and you pay the money into your account that way. So does that work with your business account? It's a BBC department that just has black and white shredders for that purpose. <laughs> anyway, if you're interested in just going purely black and white, maybe have a look at the Volvo colour range. <laughs> uh, because unless you want beige, it's pretty much black or white if you're going for something big. And I never really understood this. Why is it that when you go for an executive, in inverted commas, executive car, they will only do boring colours? You can't have a big car in an interesting colour. Is it because it's if you if you're a, a businessman, do you do you find bright colours chavvy or something, or is it just not acceptable? I don't it's know. No, I think it's that the bright colours apparently don't work on bigger cars. So an S Max or a Galaxy, for example, would look supposedly a bit odd in desert island blue, but I think it would look quite nice. Maybe you're right. Maybe it would. If nothing else, I think it would look different. But there was the uh, that Galaxy floating around a while ago that had been painted in RS Ultimate Green. 
And I thought yes. that looked fantastic. But then I think it's a nice colour and it's all in the eye of the beholder, isn't it? Well, there's an S-Max that's in RS Ultimate Green that has the 2.5-litre Turbo 5-bot in it that spits flames out the back. And it does look a bit ridiculous. Amusing. I think it would be quite good fun, <laughs> but ridiculous. That said, I was wandering around a road that floods a lot down near Chichester the other day, which is hilarious because someone parked a fusion in it and forgot about it. Uh, when they came back to it, everyone stood there watching this, this fusion that's just up to the floor pan in water. This person burning the clutch out trying to get it out of the river. And there were signs everywhere saying, this road floods at high tide. High tide is at 2pm. So you think people would notice anyway. This Land Rover Discovery drove past me, Discovery 4, and it was painted in imperial blue, or which is sort of like a purpley blue colour. Which, because obviously we don't, we have no idea what. The, there's probably a name for a purpley blue colour. I have no idea what it is, but nevertheless, it looked fantastic, and that's a big car. And I looked at it and said, I want that. That's a useful family car, seven seats, disco four. I mean, amazed that it survived this long, frankly. And presumably, it just come back from the garage because you can always assume that, can't you, about those? But it did look fantastic and majestic as it was pushing itself through the water. We were chatting off air about car television programmes and I'm generally speaking a fan of these things. You've got Bangers and Cash, for example, new series is just, well, new series has just started. In fact, it's not just about to start, it has just started. And this is, I think, a great tea time viewing programme for your ba- for your Bangers and Mash, maybe. <laughs> it's one of those that you can watch. You don't really have to think about. It's quite interesting. Everyone in it's interesting. Derek's a proper character. Irreplaceable. You know, this is... I think fantastic tea time viewing. And then you've got other programmes like Salvage Hunters I really enjoy with classic cars. And that's got uh, Paul uh, Cowland and, uh, and Drew Pritchard. And they go out and find a car, bring it back. Paul restores it in his workshop and they have a, a really beautiful car at the end of it, generally speaking. And sometimes it's some really left field stuff like 2CV vans or a Saab or something. And there are lots of cars there that I last after. And it's clear that they're both really interested in it and they just choose things they like. They do them up. And they go. But I always think they never really show you enough for the restoration Mm. in these kind of shows. I find it really interesting. It was definitely the case with the likes of Wheeler Dealers. And now you can see Ed's um, YouTube channel, which is really interesting, China's Garage. If you're interested in the geeky mechanical bits, he does all that. And he shows you how to make up brake pipes, which was useful for me. um, Because whilst I was struggling to try and do that, he was explaining how you do it and how you measure to make the bends. And he answers your questions and YouTube's actually given quite an interesting interactive format for that because you can ask a question in the comments very easily, which you couldn't do in a TV series because usually the series is in the can, it's complete before you get to see the first one. And he addresses it in the next episode. I find that really interesting. But I do still really like car shows, even though some of them are very formulaic and you've seen them all before to an extent. You know, they get the car, they do the car up, they sell it for a profit, hold out your hand. Or what have you? Yeah, I really enjoyed some of them, and as you say, uh, Mike, uh, some of them uh, they just skimp the restoration bit. They don't really cover that in any sort of detail whatsoever, and then it becomes entertainment. And you might as well be watching Top Gear, which is, as far as I'm concerned, no longer a motoring program. It's a it's a clown program. But uh, I am curious as to what's happening with uh, Richard and his forthcoming series, which is supposed to be. Uh, more about the the restoration. At least he's selling a number of his cars and bikes to fund it. Mm. 
Yeah, I've I've watched a, an episode or two of that. I've seen the first uh, episode or two of uh, of that. It was quite enjoyable, but I think the mm. for in terms of of restoration and doing a car properly as as you or I, if if we had the time and skills and budget to uh, to get a car as perfect as it can be, I I think overhauling for me is uh, is one program that stands out as just being. God, they do it properly, and and Chip Foose and his team. The, the cars maybe aren't always quite to my taste. There's uh, there's a bit too much pinstriping and chrome going on. Mm. But what the uh, because it's it's mainly American uh, muscle cars and and hot rods and trucks and things like that. But the the quality and and attention to detail. But like uh, like so many shows that are done for entertainment, you can see the bits they've skimped round or missed or not done or not touched, and you think. Oh yeah, whoever buys that is going to have to do that later. Overhauling, you you know that actually, yeah. If you picked up one of those, that that's the best that car has ever been, and and probably ten times better than when it rolled out of the factory. So if uh, if you haven't seen it overhauling, you can see that on uh, on Discovery. I think Discovery Turbo they uh, they show it quite a bit. Well worth a watch. Well worth a watch. And the uh, the episode where they steal Chip Foose's own car overhaul it for him over a period of a few months and then uh, and then present it back to him as a surprise is uh, is a particular highlight it's uh, is a very good episode that one no pressure being uh, being responsible for overhauling a car for the master of overhauling it's uh, yeah no mean feat I'd, i was just going through the list today and if you wanted to you could probably watch 24 hour tv of just joining up all the, all of the programs on all of the channels and that's only on free view it is it's just pure escapism for me because the truth of the matter is actually restoring a car, um, it's hard work and a lot of it is quite boring. So scraping off old underseal, cleaning things back, wire wall, sanding things, dipping stuff, painting it, it, it a lot of it isn't exciting, it isn't glamorous and isn't sexy. However, putting it all back together is quite exciting. When you get boxes of things that turn up and everything's here and it's the right bits and you get to put it all back together again it is interesting i do enjoy that part of it it becomes hard when you've got money constraints time constraints you're tired these these things do make it that bit trickier but i i, I do enjoy watching the transformation and if you had a lot of money behind you or a lot of time behind you or preferably both you can get some some really truly interesting results some really truly stunning results you really do need to invest an awful lot of as you say, time and effort, but you need to invest a lot of money in kit because mm. so many cars of, of, of all ages, and I've been working on cars since since I was a kid, and th- there's always the specialist bit you needed. The, the one I discovered not very, well, not many years ago was, was the um, device for putting the springs back on, on brakes. You know that, that long elongated spring with the double hooked end? You can get a device to just do that, which right. saves squashing it with a pair of pliers which was the usual way of doing it it's just a, a complicated hook costs you a couple of quid but you know the, the the trade knows all these tricks and all these tools there have been so many useful tools that i've, I've bought that not necessarily have been expensive tools like a, a long distance reaching water pipe clip so you know the ones that are sort of like a sprung clip that go past yeah, each yeah, other yeah, yeah, yeah. and you can squeeze all the way through the engine bay because it's like on a long a long wire effectively hook it over the top of the clamp which you'd normally do 
with a pair of mole grips or a pair of long nose pliers and then invariably slip and trap your finger in it and everything else. Um, and you just literally hook it over the top, squeeze the trigger and it locks on. And you can just slide the thing back. It makes things so easy. And it was about a tenner. Mm. Um, I bought a series of um, uh, long nose pliers, which are about 12 inches long. Again, you could get to, I, I needed to replace an emissions pipe on a Focus. I could get through the front of the inlet manifold, pull it off, put the next one back on again. Happy days at taking the manifold off. Stupid stuff like this. And you think, why on earth did I not invest in this in the past? Um, and I guess part of that's a learning process. And if you're interested in that and you're listening now and you want to see my comedy attempt at doing just that on a budget, in a single garage, in the cold, whilst being very tired. And I apologise for the low energy uh, the low energy approach that I sometimes show at 10 or 11 o'clock at night. And it is tough. And if you've done this, you, you, you know what it's like. Yeah. Um, then check out our YouTube channel. Whenever I watch those videos, if there was a human representation of the low battery warning you get on an iPad, or <laughs> whatever you happen to use, it, it is your face when you're doing those videos without a doubt. My, my sort of lowest point, I seem to remember many, many years ago, was it was just in 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 a car parking area which was cobbled uh and it was replacing the gearbox on an austin a60 and a they're heavy bloody things and the only way you could uh lift it into place if you were on your own was was to have it on your chest and then sort of flex yourself up so that it went back into place it's just you know no Hench. tools uh, no energy and uh, a complete bloody nightmare to do. So much of what has to be done on, on old cars is, is like that. So, you know, if you can buy a specialist tool, and I mean, I've now got several jacks, so I can lift a bloody gearbox back into place rather than relying upon the strength of my ribs to uh, to do so. It was not a nice experience, particularly when it started raining. Or better than that, employ a man to do it for you with a ramp and a garage because these these things are obviously uh, a real pain to do. And I can understand why people would rather just pay someone to do it. But I'm too mean to do that. Well, you know, if you're petroheads like us, if you've got a project car at home or you're just too tight, let us know because we'd be really interested to see it. And we'd be really interested to see how you've, you've tackled the problem of restoring a car at home. So if you've got something interesting, tweet us. Facebook us, DM us, whatever you like. We're UK Motor Talk everywhere, and and we'd definitely like to see it. And if um, your idea is good enough, then we'll think about it for a TV series to add to all of the others. Well, why not? Indeed, we'd certainly yeah, like to feature like on our YouTube channel. So let us know. Good. Um, back to car programs, then, if I I may. There's one that I really did enjoy, and I was quite disappointed they didn't do more of, and that was for the love of cars with Philip Glenister and and Anstead. And I really thought that was a brilliant series. And and Anstead, the quality of his work is just something else. I don't know if you've seen any of his cars up close if you've been to a show or if you watch the programme. And it, it was hilarious. They made a big thing of the fact that he would become emotionally involved with the people selling the car and be like, it's more than I want to pay, but I'm going to buy the car anyway. Um, which I'm sure is probably what happens in most of the, the TV series. I'm sure people <laughs> just they buy the car, whatever it is, and then the rest of it might be television. They buy the car, bring it back, and he would restore it get interested in the history and clearly Philip didn't know that much about the cars perhaps but he was very good at presenting the history of the car and, and a bit of information about it and uh, was always clearly impressed by what Ant had done and he would turn a wreck around and do a proper restoration on it and it was absolutely fantastic. Now you'd see little clips of, of, of what he would do but not necessarily the whole thing. It is involved and I'd, I'd be quite interested genuinely in watching a series, a restoration series, and watching 
a single car being restored over a series just to see the things that they've done to it. I appreciate it might not be high octane for everybody and it's maybe not the kind of thing that's your tea time viewing because it's not half an hour or an hour long. But I think that'd be quite interesting. You can always learn from these things. There's, there's always something to be learned. Some programmes far better than others, but Ant, uh, Anstead is, is certainly, for me, is a, is a good mechanic to watch. You can learn an awful lot from the way he does stuff. He's a nice guy too, actually. He is a, a mm. genuinely nice chap. If you ever get the opportunity to speak to him when he's not in America, then then definitely do. Uh, he does some of the classic car shows, and he did one up in Surrey a little while back. And yeah, genuinely top bloke, really interested in cars and just and just talking about them, which is really nice. And it it's nice to find characters that that really do just just live the passion the same way that we do. And I think you have to really be interested in it to do it, because otherwise it would just be boring as hell. If you've ever prepped a car for paint. It takes a long time, hours and hours and hours, weeks sometimes, to get the panels, to get them flat, to get the primer how you want it to be. And it's got to be perfect before it gets painted, because otherwise you really see it through the paint. There's a couple of examples of my car. I spent about seven weeks prepping the paint, and I took it to where I worked at the time. We tucked it in the corner of the workshop, and then one day we wheeled it out, and we painted the car. And all the paint pickled up in a couple of areas, because the accelerant I'd used in the primer seemed to just react with the paint we have no reason to suspect it would because it didn't do it anywhere else but a couple of bits we had to flat back really quickly and you can see the difference in the panels where i'd spent weeks preparing them and those little bits where we'd gone bloody hell i need to get this car painted and in time for my wedding because um, it was pretty close to the wire and just to, how quickly we had to flat that back and get it ready to paint it you can see you can see the difference in in the quality it makes a massive difference and i and i, and I learned a lot very quickly and I think that's that's important. I think that's kind of okay if you're doing this stuff yourself. You you do you do learn from from your mistakes. But that kind of thing, I think, is, would be particularly interesting for me to see. I'm not sure it's, it's for everybody. And then you get different kinds of of shows. Like you say, Top Gear is, is very much entertainment based now. Do do you learn a lot about cars from it? Maybe maybe not. Absolutely not. I don't know. I think you learn a bit about the uh, the cars from Chris Harris. I think uh, yes. I think Paddy and Freddie are there for entertainment. I, I mean, I'm not. Um, the the biggest fan of Paddy's presenting style when it comes to uh, to Top Gear. Not quite sure he's right, but Freddie and Chris seem to uh, to have that chemistry together uh, and work mm. quite well. I, I think Freddie's getting the hang of it. Yeah, but I, I think they're always on a hiding to nothing. Those three aren't they? Because they are not Clarks and Hammond and May, and and it's as simple as that. Yeah, but they're they're still doing some of the same sort of nonsense. I feel really sorry for them because they're expected to do a certain formula in Top Gear. We've seen them in person and they do have a really good chemistry. And Freddie Flintoff is one of Chris Harris's heroes. Chris Harris is a fantastic journalist. He is an absolutely top-notch journalist when it comes to cars. He knows what he's talking about. He knows how the car feels and he knows how to drive. He's produced a whole series of films on YouTube. Obviously, he had his own channel, Chris Harris on Cars. The stuff that he did was was absolutely excellent and I've got a huge amount of time for him I really do uh, as, a, as a serious journalist I enjoy Top Gear as entertainment I don't see it as a serious car show I've been watching Fifth Gear Recharged which Fifth Gear you think would probably be following Top Gear in, in the way that uh, that it was trying to do certain challenges and things it's not the case at all Fifth Gear has gone the other way and they've gone to what I guess I was going to say classic Top Gear, but I mean sort of pre-Clarkson era Top Gear was like where they would have a road test and they'll talk about the cars. I actually find it really interesting, partly because it's still relatively new technology, so I'm learning a lot. They had um, Grace Webb off of Grace's Amazing Machines, 
which if you've got kids, you will know some people call Top Gear because she goes and experiences different planes and trains and cars and all kinds of bits and pieces. Again, presented really well on motorbikes, electric motorbikes. I find, again, really just quite interesting to sit and watch. Uh, Karen Chandler, Jason Plato. It's quite an old-fashioned format, and it's quite it sort is. Of retro in that respect. But for me, it, it works. I, I enjoy watching it, because at least yeah. uh, people that are, A, passionate about cars, uh, and, and talking about that passion. Yeah. The other thing is now that when we think about car shows, we don't necessarily think about car shows just being on telly, because there are so many YouTube channels dedicated to cars and different types of cars. We've mentioned before the late break show, Johnny Smith, who is, again, absolutely brilliant. Huge amount of research, massive car guy and really entertaining. You can sit there and you can watch half an hour's worth of show about something you're not particularly interested in. And I find it interesting Uh, as a car guy. I think that's 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 difficult to engage me in. You can be sat there chatting about a Peugeot for three quarters of an hour and I will sit there and watch it and I'll appreciate what he's done. I might not like the car still. But I do find it genuinely interesting and I find it a fantastic way just to sit there and, and unwind and, and switch off. And sometimes even just have it on in the background when he's talking, really relaxing. You know, it, it's you can sit there, listen and and not necessarily focus too hard on it, but in, enjoy a, a shared passion. And I think that's where, where YouTube works very well. I mentioned uh, before about Ed China. There's the other end of the scale. You've got people that chase supercars. You've got the likes of um, Shmi 150. Maybe not for you. It's not a character that I particularly like. I'll be completely honest. However, I saw an interview with him, funny enough, on the Late Break show, where he was Tim and not Shmi, the, the character. And he explained the reason why he has the cars, the business rationale between buying them and how that achieves more views and hits and everything else. And the business reason behind having his cars. And it kind of makes a lot of sense. I actually liked him more as a person because he was explaining in a genuine way why he has the cars, he enjoys the cars, but why he creates his content and how that's his life. I found that really refreshing. So there's a bit of something out there for everybody, really. Do you want that half an hour of of background or information discovering something new? Like you say, you can sit down and watch Johnny Smith and his work on on a car you're not particularly interested in, but it becomes interesting of the way he is, and that's that's quite nice. And actually, if you want a a proper sit-down road test, then, then you've got Chris Harris... Uh, or you've got uh, car affection with with Henry and the way he drives and describes cars and communicates what he's feeling. Mm. I, I I think to be honest, if you're looking for information, then I think the YouTube format, the the half an hour, twenty minute, ten minute, nine minute, whatever it is, video on that specific car is a better format for it. If if you're looking at a 45-minute, hour-long show on uh, terrestrial television or Freeview Satellite, however you watch it. It needs to be a bit broader, so therefore maybe slightly more entertainment-based to uh, to keep everyone's attention. Uh, if it's if it's a series of, you know, tests of reasonable size, practical family hatchbacks, then yes, that's informative if you want to buy one of them, but maybe not the most entertaining. So actually, the Top Gear and, and things like that, are they better off being pure entertainment i suppose it's a little bit like uh i i don't enjoy watching tennis or cricket but more so in the sue barker days and and matt dawson and phil tufnell less less so in the paddy and salmon ugo uh iteration i like watching question of sport so i don't like tennis but i like a question of sport so a question of sport is it there to inform are you there to 
to gain encyclopedic knowledge of sport or is it just entertainment watching people larking around i i think question of sports tried to go a bit too much down the entertainment route and and change what it is i think they need to to dial it back and, and get slightly more back to the old format but again there's maybe the the paddy mcginnis influence coming in there rather than uh, than the format of the show itself i think you could be right yeah, I, I, there's there's a fine line, isn't there, between being interesting because you're a fan, being entertainment which is open to everybody, and being dare I say it, maybe just a bit too laddie in some aspects. I know Top Gear's been been accused of that. I think maybe Clarkson plays a uh, the there's Jeremy Clarkson, the person, and I think we saw a bit more of this in the farming show, didn't we? You saw more of Clarkson mm. for who he is. And then yeah. when you see him on telly, he's he's playing up to Jeremy Clarkson, the TV personality. Yeah. And it's, it was quite nice to see the two. And actually, he plays up to the character very well. Whether you like the character or not is is more of a question. Like I say, Paddy Binginis, when he's in full-on trying to be one of the lads, let's go boys mode, I'm I'm not a big fan of him. But when, when you catch them in a more real moment or when they're more just chatting together... It's uh, it's more bearable, but I think that that chatting and that chemistry only uh, only comes with time. Mm. I for one enjoy the the characters of Top Gear, um, and I'll continue to watch it. It's not the same as what it was, but then I think it, it couldn't really be anymore. And I think to an extent we see that with with the Grand Tour. God, uh, we, God, we I'm... sound old, don't we? It's not like it was in my <laughs> day. It's sort of, we're all sounding very creaky and very well, uh, very fuddy-duddy with all this, aren't we? Well, yeah, but yeah, I, I, I love the, the trio to bits, but I, I kind of feel that they need to have a, a rest now. You know, they've, they've done it. They've been there. They've, they've given us all that entertainment for so many years, and it must be hard to keep that up and keep it fresh. But I, th- I think what, what maybe tells is when I'm watching reruns on whether it's YouTube or Dave or anything like that, I'll generally turn over if it's a, a normal show, in effect. But when it's when they race on public transport across Japan against yeah. the GTR, or when it's a Burma special, or they go to hear that, you know, the, the hour-long, we go on an epic yes. voyage, an epic journey, those are far more watchable, and those yeah. date far less, because it's not about the car at all. The, you know, the, a road test of a of a Mark V Fiesta is not really relevant anymore, is it? You you buy a Mark V Fiesta because you need Ankara and it's cheap as chips. Yeah. You don't buy it because it's got the second best in class boot space, but it has the best in class handling and it scored half a Euro N Cup star more than the Peugeot, whatever it was that was out at the time. So the the ones that stand the test of time are the are the stories, the journeys, I think. And that's that's what people liked about the Top Gear trio of Clarkson, Hammond and May was when when they go on adventures together. That's what makes a good story, isn't it? You know, and all the books you used to read as a kid. The they weren't generally about kids going to school and having a normal day and learning stuff and coming home. You read a book about the famous five because they ended up in a cave somewhere and caught some smugglers or whatever happened. Yep. You know, you, you want interest, you want adventure, you want mystery, you want jeopardy rather than facts and figures for uh, for entertainment. These classics weren't necessarily about larking around. The larking around happened as a, a consequence of the circumstances, the, the thing that was happening, didn't they? There were some fantastic challenges, though, and I, I forget which series it was. It must have been, yeah, you know, absolute golden series. I was sitting there watching where they uh, they made the train cars, you know, where they made the the the, the Jaguar TGV and 
And then there's the crossing the channel, all this kind of stuff, which is which was absolutely superb fun to watch. Some of the stuff, like you say, the challenges were maybe a bit more genuine to an extent. For example, where they're driving across the North Pole in the Toyotas or whatever it might be. I appreciate that these things are scripted to an extent. All, all these types of shows are contrived to a point. But there have been some, some brilliant, absolute gold Top Gear episodes, classic Top Gear episodes. And it's almost when they're not trying too hard to have the banter and I get what you what you say with McGuinness because there is there is that he does seem to try a bit too hard but I do feel for the guys in that as you say they're always going to try and live up to the trio because they have such a legacy with Top Gear and I think they freely admit they're not them and they're trying to do their own thing and I think that's that's kind of working out now yeah I mean I think that one of the highlights for me over the the last season or two uh, has been those those longer road trips or the you know the the electric car challenge they did recently and they ended up on top of a mountain and and larking about and then the range of getting back and racing each other that that kind of thing that 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 was quite interesting but i think probably the the best piece that paddy's done uh, on his own was eddie kid because that was that that was i think the real paddy and seeing him meet one of his heroes and and the story and and a little bit tear jerky but it it was just real it, he wasn't or didn't seem to be trying too hard so if they could do a few more things like that i think that would uh, that would that would send the show off in a slightly better direction i think just my two pence worth <laughs> i think you could be right and on that thought if you have anything you'd like to see us put into our content so if you want to see certain videos you want us to talk about certain things on the podcast then please do let us know because we're here just to please you and we do hope you enjoy listening to us chatting about the things that we end up enjoying right. or even if you have us on in the background <laughs> yes or indeed if you just have our dulcet tones helping you get to sleep uh, do let us know but we hope you enjoy following us along in our trials and tribulations in automotive life and all the things that we see we are petrol heads or car heads or whatever you want to call it if you want to include the ev stuff just like you so thanks for listening guys we really appreciate it and i guess on that note it's time to say goodbye so from me mike it's goodbye from me jim it's goodbye take care and from me graham it's goodbye uk motor talk a first take media production